If you've got your Bible, James chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19, 19 through 21 together this morning. James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, about James, and uh, we started out by talking for a few weeks about the idea of trials, because this is where James starts in his letter. And James is writing to the church about this because they're going through quite a bit of persecution, and life is very difficult for them. And so uh, what we've talked about is how, as we go through trials, the thing that we need in order to navigate those things is wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom gives us the ability to do certain things. Uh, like understand that, number one, no matter how, uh, there's, there's no amount of, of money, of, comf- of physical material comfort, of security in the things of this world that can uh, help you avoid trials, that can, that can keep you uh, ultimately safe from those things. Uh, wisdom that also shows us that um, the way we act when we're going through trials is not necessarily an exception to who we are, but it says a lot about who we are. Um, It is wisdom that sort of shows us these things, as James pointed out. Um, As the church has been dealing a lot with uh, being in difficult circumstances, uh, James starts to now talk to them about the way they are treating each other. Because now that they've been under pressure for quite a while, and they've been going through quite a bit of difficult stuff, the, the people in the church family have started to sort of take it out on each other if you will. They are uh, starting to get a little short with each other, and you could tell by the issues that he addresses with the church. So like any family, right, under circumstances of pressure would start to maybe be not quite so loving or not quite so patient with each other. Uh, That's what you see happening with the early church here that James is writing to. Uh, You can ask any parent dealing with a uh, any, any set of parents dealing with, you know, staying up all night with a sleepless baby and being sleep deprived. You can talk to a family two days into like a four-day road trip, okay, if you want to find out about what it's like to be in a family when circumstances are difficult, you're wearing thin, and you start to take it out on each other even though it's not really these people's fault. I was talking to a buddy of mine this week whose wife is uh, nine months pregnant. They do not go to this church. I just want to be clear right now. Uh, And um, and he was there, you know, just kind of having a, he was kind of having a rough time navigating that ninth uh, month carefully. And uh, so we, uh, he said, things are a little intense. So as a joke, my friends, I bought him a tent and we, uh, we like sent it to him and we're like, just, just live in that man, you know, just like set that thing up uh, and just hang in there. Cause you're going to, you're going to get through it, you know, but um, mostly because he was doing foolish things by the way, not because his wife was being difficult. Um, the, the church is like any other family in this way. And as James is talking to them, what he essentially now begins to do in this passage that we're in this morning is basically lay out for them the rules of how they are supposed to be with one another. Because the theme of this book is that if you are a person of real faith, then it's not just a matter of what you say is true about you. Uh, It's a matter of how you act and how you treat one another, how this faith is lived out in your lives. And that is needs to start probably first and foremost amongst the way that you treat each other. So he basically gives them this list of sort of family rules that we're looking at this morning. 
He says, do these things so that when even the greatest tests come your way, they will bring you closer together. They won't pull you further apart. They're pretty simple to, to see, to catch in the passage that Matt just read this morning. The first one is this. Family rule number one, according to James, listen first. Before you do anything else, with each other, just listen to each other. Your first response and your first instinct, no matter who you're sitting across from, should be to listen before anything else. The person who can do this, the person who does this, is going to be able to accomplish a lot more than the person who can't do this. By listening better, uh, you will have the ability to, to, to discern better what's going on with people. Now, here in the ESV, as we just read it, he says, be quick to hear. But in the Greek, the word is listen. And the reason I say that is because when you translate it, the word means to receive information that someone's communicating to you. So you can hear something without trying to, right? You can hear things you don't want to hear sometimes. But the idea of listening, that's something that you have to actually choose to do. And you know that someone's listening because they have understood the thing that you've said, the thing that you're trying to say. And so what James is actually saying is he's saying, be quick to listen to each other. Put effort into understanding each other. Understanding this other person is vital to you. So right out of the gate, I have to be really clear and say that almost any time that you hear this preached on or taught on, it's probably coming from a hypocrite because uh, it is a pastor who is probably in the position they're in because they are better at talking maybe than they are at listening. Uh, they, uh, they may be, because we associate oftentimes uh, pastors with, with teaching and communication with words. Very few people end up in a position where they're teaching because uh, they simply have the ability to listen well to other people. Although in truth, communication, as I have learned, is uh, just as much about one as it is about the other. Um, I do talk a lot. Uh, I subscribe to the sort of rule that uh, if you're entertaining enough, then um, why use two words when you can use ten words, right? Um, you know, we're having a good time, so let's just keep this going, right? And um, Ellie, my wife, is, uh, is, she doesn't talk quite as much. Uh, her feeling is that, like, it, it doesn't need to be said unless it's really a fully formed thought. And I'm like, no way, you know, let's not have impossible standards like that limiting the things that come out of our mouths. And um, when we were married for many years, we were in a relationship together, um, I would, uh, we would have these moments where we're not really on the same page and we'd get in these, in, in fights about this stuff and she would say to me, uh, she would say, it's your fault. You just need to learn how to communicate better. And then my head would explode and, uh, and I would be like, me, me, I need to learn how to communicate better. I am a, literally a like train of thought, never ending stream of consciousness word machine. If I am anything, I am a good communicator, right? I have probably actually had a conversation with a brick wall at some point, you know? Like, yep, no big deal, you know? It knows what it did. And so I began to realize at a certain point that 
communication isn't just about being the person who talks a lot. That communication is actually a two-sided thing. And that to be a good communicator, to have good communication with other people, is more about listening and asking questions and sometimes even drawing out information from people that may may not be giving you so easily. Uh, This last week, Pastor Dave announced that he is planning on retiring at the end of this next year, after 40 years in ministry. Um, I think he can go a little longer, but that's just, that's what he wants to do, so fine. 40 years, uh, he's going to buy a boat and go fishing or something. And um, as I'm really sad about this, and, it, and, and the biggest reason doesn't have anything to do with worship or music, which is his, really his major role here. It's because of the fact that Pastor Dave is an incredible example, if you know him, of someone who is a wonderful pastor because he listens to people. And people like me who like to talk, they like to be around people, like to listen. And he's a good listener. He, can, he asks you questions, and he, he will listen to you talk, and then he will even sometimes say back what you said, but even better. And he'll pray for you, and he'll understand you, and not be so occupied all the time with just trying to think of what he's supposed to say next. James says to the church, listen first, listen well, and a person who does this will have the ability to have sort of clever ears, basically. You will be able to discern more than other people will about what's going on, especially with the people across from you. You will be able to catch things that others miss. Like literally, like someone throws a ball, and most people miss that. You will be able to catch that. You will be able to grab out of the air the thing that other people are trying to communicate because you are actually more interested in listening and hearing than you are in talking. You can understand things that other people are confused by. You know, when other people are are very quick to go, ah, that doesn't make sense. They don't make sense. That group of people doesn't make sense. That issue doesn't make sense. That disagreement that we're having, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you will be able to understand things that a lot of times other people don't understand. Not because you're the most brilliant human being on the planet, but because you're listening well. You will even be able to get past these sort of barriers that we often put up. And really, we do this and we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. When you're having a conversation with somebody and you maybe, uh, you all know what this is like. When you're talking to a person and they say something, they use a term or they, they like, uh, you know, refer to either a, a person they're talking about or you or a generation or an age group or a group of people or, or anything. They say something that just immediately you just turn your mind off, and you're like, and I'm done. I'm done. I'm done listening to you, because that's all I need to hear, right? And we do that sometimes. We do it foolishly, because, you know, if the goal is that other people would understand me when I'm talking, then I'm not going to say things that are going to make them just immediately shut down. But a lot of times we do that when we get really passionate or frustrated, or sometimes we do that just because we don't really care in the first place. We're like, no, I actually don't care about you understanding me. I just want to say what I think, right? And the person who listens well is somebody who can actually get past some of those things that other people would just go, and I'm done, and walk away, right? If your first instinct can be to listen, then you can do this. 
And our world, in truth, is painfully short on people who actually can understand others. I mean, really. We have very little understanding going on between people. And so, James says to the church, first and foremost, family rule number one, just listen first. And then he goes on to tell them what they can do next. He says, let every person be quick to hear and then slow to speak. And so we are to speak carefully. I was talking to my kids last night, and they said, what are you going to talk about church tomorrow? And I said, I'm talking about this thing in James. It is uh, being uh, quick to listen and slow to speak. And my daughter goes, you mean talking like this? And I was like, no, but that's pretty funny. I'm going to use that. The reason that James says slow to speak is not because he's talking about speaking slowly. And the reason he says be quick to listen is because he's talking about being quick to hear. He's, he uses these words, the grammar of what he says when you interpret this in the Greek is he's actually using the language that you use when you're making a list. First, on a list, do this thing. And then there's all the other stuff. So it's like you start your day and you say, I have my to-do list. And so I'm going to be quick to... That is the first thing that you put on the list. That's the thing that you say, I've got to get that done. That is my top priority. Your top priority, the thing you have to make sure happens today, so maybe just tackle it and do it right away. Be quick to hear the people around you, okay? And then there's the be slow to speak. That's slow. What he's talking about is basically the thing on our list that we associate with, uh, well, it's the first thing to go, especially if you're a procrastinator, right? So what James is saying is he's actually saying to the people of the church, when it comes to talking, just go ahead and procrastinate, okay? Just put it off, okay? Uh, just, you know, yeah, watch another show, like read a magazine, play a game on your iPad or something. There's always time. You can get to it. Get to that later. Do this other stuff you want to do. Just worry about the speaking later, right? If any doubt, just put off the speaking part of it. And the reason he says this is because... The people in the church need to be able to also not just listen, but speak carefully to one another. Actually put thought into what words are going to come out of their mouth. They are to have these cautious tongues. Make their words count. And in doing so, your words will actually not cause pain and strife. They'll, they'll bring about healing and they'll help people. It seems pretty clear when you read uh, this letter that James is frustrated with the church. And it seems that he's frustrated with them because of the way they're using their words. A lot of people misinterpret James and think it's legalistic because there's so much emphasis on real faith being something you live out in the way that you act. He's not saying uh, this in a legalistic way. What he's doing is he's talking to a group of people who it sounds like have this habit of being very loose and casual with the things that they say and not putting much thought beyond that to how they actually live those things out. And it's the same in their way of talking to each other. They just talk without thinking. Maybe they think that to be a Christian in the early church means to have strong opinions and to defend them all the time above all else. But the other thing that's evident in James is that people probably are saying things about their own faith, about what they believe and about those things without actually living those things out. And this is something that is so easy to do. I grew up in a generation of, uh, I would call it sort of uh, 
youth group pledges where uh, pastors were kind of constantly presenting us with these opportunities, and it was always to make an oath for something, to make a covenant for something, to make a pledge, to make a promise, to write the thing down, to send down on the piece of paper, and to to burn it or nail it to the cross or give it to a middle schooler to eat or something, and, and then it's gone, right? And then you no longer do that thing anymore, right? And for, for years, this was uh, the only way that I knew really to respond to God was, well, if I've struggled with something, if there's a thing in my life, whether it's a sin or even just something good that I should be focusing on more, then the first step is to, is to make the biggest commitment that I can, right? To show God what I mean with my words, And yet when the tendency is to do that first, right, then we run the risk of uh, speaking first and and, and thinking that if what we say is passionate enough, loud enough, big enough, bold enough, bigger than the last time, then that will probably show God that we're really serious or show other people that we're really serious. What James is talking to is a group of people that have a problem being too casual with their words and not thinking about their actions backing those things up. What I realize as I think about this is there is one way that being a a, a person who's teaching the Bible gives me a unique perspective on this, and it's that I spend typically all week thinking about one one, one group of a few verses in the Bible, one passage or, 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 or one portion, thinking and studying and praying and considering how to communicate that thing best, knowing that the amount of time is limited. I know it may not seem that way, but knowing that the amount of time is limited. And people are, that the gravity of, of this is significant, right? And so every, every there, there are nights that I'm up late and mornings that I'm up early thinking about it all because of the weight that I see it carry, because it is important to think through what is said especially in this time. And people are constantly saying to me, people inside the church and outside the church, you know, people should be hearing more of this. You should spend more time talking about this. The church needs to hear more on this. If you're any kind of a pastor, you will publicly address this issue or that issue. So I ask myself, when does it matter to, to filter my words and when doesn't it matter, right? If it matters so much now, when, when doesn't it matter? And the more I think about it, the more I realize, well, It's pretty simple, actually. We think through what we're saying when we care about the audience, when we care about the people. When we don't, then we don't think through what we're saying, right? We just say it, right? The truth is, it's not that complicated. I spend more time on words that are spoken to more important people in my life and less time to words spoken to less important people. James says, speak carefully to one another, each other, as a general rule. This is the way you should be. You notice that it isn't about who's sitting across from the person. It's this is how you ought to be. You ought to be someone, regardless of the person in front of you, the group of people, whatever situation you're in, you ought to be someone who first hears and listens and second speaks carefully. So you go, okay, well, then if maturity, which is what James is talking about, and it comes up a lot in James, if maturity and wisdom is that you are able to be sort of open enough to other people and what they have to say, that you're really listening to them and you're really considering the things that they're saying, that I'm not like so arrogantly confident that I can't possibly even hear others, 
But what about this idea of having convictions, having beliefs, right? Aren't we in the church supposed to have that? Aren't, aren't the people that he's writing to supposed to be the people who believe certain things and stand by those things no matter what? Shouldn't we say that we will stand by these things and, and proclaim them and express them regardless of what the person across from us thinks? That's my understanding of how it works, especially in the early church when you're being persecuted. Well, James goes on and he talks about this. He talks about, okay, what about, you know, the situation where maybe you're saying, I can't put off talking, right? I can't just keep putting it off. I, I need to talk now. Something needs to be said now or something needs to be said before uh, the time can be given to maybe think through how to say it a certain kind of a way. Or it needs to be said and it doesn't necessarily need to be said carefully. And to that, he responds. He says, be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James knows that our reason for not waiting is usually that we're angry. We call it passion, but we're angry. We're angry and we say, you know what? I'm angry because I'm a righteous person. And my anger actually accomplishes things for God. And that's what's so good about being me. And so when I get upset about things, it's because I'm upset about the things that God is upset about. And James says, no, you're not. And that's not even how it works, right? Your anger doesn't actually produce the righteousness of God. Have you ever met somebody who seems to think that uh, because they believe the right thing, that they can be angry and that that actually is a good thing, that that's accomplishing something? James says that's not how it works. He says, be slow to anger too. Be composed. Family rule number three, be composed, be controlled, be calm. Lots of C words. I looked them all up because I wanted everything to start with the same letter. And this one was the easy one. Cool as a cucumber was one of them. There you go. Do nothing out of anger and do very little out of urgency and passion. Our biggest argument for why we should be talking regardless of what others think is anger. And you might not say it's anger. You might say it's simply a matter of urgency. Why it needs to be said now and it cannot be said later. I don't think that this is that hard to understand the stuff James is talking about. Um, in fact, he, uh, he is speaking uh, in such simple language that the longer I talk about it, the more I'm just going to complicate it. And probably everyone here has heard these words before. There's a pretty good chance. The truth is not that we don't know this about what the Bible says about community and how we are to be with one another. The truth is that community comes at a cost, and this is the cost. And many of us have decided, I don't honestly think that it's worth the cost. I mean, I'm okay just not dealing with people uh, and being right all the time and not having to talk about it with people. Or, or being wrong, that's fine too. I'm just, I'm good with no people if it means that I don't have to be a person who listens and I have to be a person who thinks through what I say. The cost is just too high, and we say, then I'd rather be alone. I'd much prefer that than the cost of listening and considering that maybe I don't have everything figured out. James gives a formula that is so basic 
that you could give it to a kindergartner and they would remember it. For that reason, it is something that we can remember. It's not like I said this and you're like, oh, that's okay, that's what it is because I keep getting it mixed up. I keep thinking it's speak first and then listen, okay, now I got it. This time I'm going to get it down, right? We typically know what it is. You see, the problem is not even that we don't have the right information. The problem is that we have allowed the information in, but we haven't actually let it change us. And to that, he goes on and he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He says, the word has been implanted. You have it. Writing to the church, you know God's word. This is not complicated stuff. You either with meekness and humility allow it to change you, and then you will act like a community, or you choose not to. This is his sort of final plea here in these family rules. There are so many things inside of a person that the word of God has to compete with. And the simple truth is that if you choose to let this word change you and direct your life, then you will be fine. You don't have to worry all the time. What do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? The Holy Spirit will show you. God has spoken. It is usually not that complicated. But what you must do is you must say, I'm going to allow those things to actually change me. I'm going to actually do them and live them out. This fourth rule is that we are changed, that you are to be changed. We read in Ecclesiastes, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. What he's saying is when you come before God, Come with a humble heart, ready to listen, rather than it says to offer the sacrifice of fools, which is lots of words, and the idea that you are bringing a lot of impressive stuff to that time. Come ready to listen and ready to receive. James is repeating an imagery here that we hear about when Jesus is, is in the Gospels do, uh, doing ministry. Uh, he tells a parable of a sower, and he talks about this sower, a person who goes around, and it's an easy one, he explains it, and, and they, they, they spread the word, the truth of the Gospel. It's God's word, it's the Gospel, and they sow this seed again and again and again. And that act of sowing the seed is, is this thing that is incredibly repetitive. It is happening constantly. Every time someone gets up and preaches the word, every time you open the Bible and read the word, every time the gospel is presented, is presented in some form, the seed is being cast out. It is being sown by the sower. And as it goes out again and again, back and forth, this sower goes to the same field season after season after season, back and forth, and it's being sown out what does the parable say? It says that what matters is not the conditions of the weather or uh, the ability of the sower. It is the condition of the soil that the seed gets planted in. And there's this one soil that's the worst soil, and it is this one. Jesus says it. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word at the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
Now, when we think about the rocky, hard soil that the bird kind of picks up the seed and just flies away right away, what we think about when we think of hard soil, right? You think like go to, go to the middle of Portland, maybe go hang out by Reed College and talk to people over there. That's like the hardest soil that you're going to find. That is soil that is unfriendly to the gospel, right? And yet, anybody who knows anything about agriculture, about, about farming, knows that the, the soil that's being talked about here is not the soil that is the furthest away on the other side of the field. Where is it? It is immediately beneath the feet of the sower. Because the sower has been casting the seed again and again, repetitively, over and over again, as God has told them to do. And everybody knows you're not going to grow anything on the road where you drive all the equipment and you walk all the people and you bring all the carts and everything. That is the dirt that has been so worn down by the back and forth process. And why? Why is it possible that the hard soil is maybe not a matter of, oh, a culture that is so different, but it is a matter of a culture that is so familiar because of this word being given that it is easy to even have it cast right there and just picked up immediately. I say that because James is talking to the church, and as he's giving them these very basic instructions on how to be, his real instruction to them, you can tell, is be changed. The word has been implanted in you. Do you take it seriously enough to let it change you? You have to let God's word in, and you basically then have to let it win. It has to win out over all the other stuff competing for it inside of your heart. And that is not an easy process all the time. And, you know, we often talk about and even lament how, you know, oh, there were times when biblical literacy was so much better in our country and that, and that, and that because of that you saw people who had stronger faiths and things that were better. And I don't know that that's entirely true. In fact, what we see is often familiarity with the facts of the Bible can lead to this idea that more knowledge and information is what we need rather than changed hearts by the information that we have. In fact, we have more resources at our fingertips now, more study tools and the ability to read and interpret the, the original text in the languages that it was given by people that don't know those languages now. You can do that. We have sermons after sermons that we can podcast and listen to. We have, we have people that can give us the word in every way that we can most easily receive it. Is the problem that we don't have enough of this, or is the problem that maybe we have an abundance of it, and as a result of that, if we don't see it as something that changes our heart, then it just kind of piles up on the rest of the stuff that we know. One of the things that our youth pastor did this last year was he stopped having student ministries on Sunday morning, and he would talk to families and say, you know, why would we do that, right? If we, if, if we, you know, love students, our students, then why wouldn't we have something specifically for them on Sunday morning? And he said, because it, what, what we were asking, what we're asking of people is we're saying, come to, come to youth group and, and hear something about the word, hear a teaching on the word, and then, and then we want you to go to church. You should go to church and hear a teaching on the word. That's, that's another teaching on the word. And then later on in the week, we want you to come to youth group and hear a teaching on the word, right? Is it possible that we even in the church without thinking about it can sort of create cultures in which we say this is the rate at which a person can like internalize and be changed by this stuff 
or as we're trying to do as a church, right? We say we're going to go through James, get a scripture journal, read through it with us. We want to take our time. We want to really study it. And we want to allow God to change us as we encounter this stuff. The worst thing that we can do is ever walk away from God's word, not expecting to be changed by it without meekness. He says this word is implanted in you, but you have to allow that process to happen. Receive it, take it, let it change you. If you do this, you will see that anger is not what God desires. If you see this, you will bite your tongue. You will see that understanding others is much more valuable than talking. You won't need anyone to spell out the family rules for you because your heart, as it changes, you will see these things. You will be changed. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day. And um, as my son was learning about it in school, he came home this week and he wanted to watch the I Have a Dream speech um, because they watched it at school and he wanted to show it to his sister. And so we sit down and we're watching it and, and then he said, Dad, you have to talk about this in your sermon. You know? And I was like, okay, you know, whatever you say. Um, and, but as I was thinking about this, and one of the things I've often said is that there's something about having to re-explain things on a very basic level to young people, sort of for the first time. And so, first thing you wanted to know is like, what was the big deal about him? You know, what did he do that was so maybe different that made him so famous, right? And he was talking about this speech, and I said, he was living in a time when there was these great injustices that were going on, and at a time when people were using anger and violence and hatred to try to solve problems, he listened to people and to God's word, and he then took time to very carefully speak. Could a speech change things, right? Could words change things? Opportunities that Martin Luther King Jr. was given to speak to very passionate groups of people people who had been wronged for many years, he could have done so many things with that time in that message. But because he was so careful in the way that he spoke and he used his words wisely, it changed the world because of that. And why? Because, as he said, we must, as we fight this, fight the way that Jesus would. We must be peaceful and so the very words that he uses in this famous speech, I have a dream, are words about wanting to see what we read about in the Bible and what we know as true as Christians come true in the world and being the people that do that. This is the impact that our words have. I don't think anybody really believes that words are useless. We all know the sticks and stones thing isn't real. We know that words have great weight. We know that there's a huge difference between a thought existing in my head and it coming out of my mouth and now living once it's been spoken. James is not saying words are useless, words are pointless. He's saying, and he's not saying we can only believe actions and nothing else. He's saying that words, as casually as we throw them around, Words based not on understanding people or things, but just venting and representing how we feel. Those mean next to nothing. They have little impact, and they don't show the love of Christ. James says our words can matter a great deal. They can accomplish a lot 
if they are thought out and if they come from a place first of hearing and listening. 